Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Go get ready for some awesome. Jonathan is ready to go. Just poured himself a big old can of mellow yellow in his plastic cup. He's ready to do this. It is not mellow yellow. It's vitamin water zero. Oh, okay. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. Thanks, man. It's good to be back. Uh, vitamin water is how we protect ourselves from the coronavirus. Really? And yeah, we should be good. Is I mean, the vitamins are right there in the water. <laughs> I mean, is is that the most advanced medical technology that you guys have in Arkansas? Gatorade? Well, that and leeches between the two. You'll be fine. Just just yeah, drain some blood. That's, that's the goal. Yeah. How are you doing, man? Uh, we're doing good, uh, all things considered. How about y'all? Yeah, five kids, uh, 11 and under, and mm. five acres. So we got a kid, an acre for each kid. Do you have a we map did. drawn up and you just send them to one of the corners of the property? No, the, but that that's coming if this quarantine lasts much longer. Are you guys, are y'all shelter in place? Uh, are you having to? Oh, yeah, yeah. We just got a more, um, uh, like a more official one on Tuesday. Dallas got one, I think, on Sunday or Monday, but then ours came uh, just a couple days after. So, yeah, I, I haven't, uh, probably in the last, even before we got the rigid, like, stay-at-home so, social distancing thing, I, I think I left... One time, and then since that's come out, like, I haven't left the house. I'll probably leave on Sunday to go to church, and that'll be it. What about y'all? No, um, because Arkansas is more rural. We we, uh, we we haven't had to deal with, I mean, like, obviously Austin and Dallas and places like that. Yeah, that's one of the benefits, for because you guys don't have, like, the ability to travel. Like, you don't have cars and planes and stuff like that, so it's not going to get to you guys as fast. Like, that, I mean, that's that's just science. <laughs> it's science. Yeah, no, that's that's what science is. No, we can travel, but we have, uh, you know, we're the natural state, man. Mm-hmm. So we're we're spread out, and um, like I said, we have five acres. So being able to quarantine with having five acres and having my brother and sister in law and stuff next door. Although when we all get together, we're just at the can't gather more than ten people. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the limit. So, you can't pass that. Uh, yeah, I guess toilet paper is probably not an issue for y'all because you just. Oh no, dude! Yeah, that, so that's true. We got a ton of leaves that we could use, but we have seven rolls of toilet paper left because we didn't run out and do the panic buying. Mm-hmm. So. We now have as many people as we have rolls of toilet paper. So <laughs> times are. Hey, this is about. We're about to get desperate. Hey, this is the time for those uh, napkins from all the fast food restaurants that are stuffed in your glove compartment. It's their time to shine. They're going to do just great. Yeah, we'll just push past all the Polynesian <laughs> Chick Fil A packets. And <laughs> I, I, I I thought of a joke the other day, and then I heard Jimmy Fallon use it, and I thought, man. It's good to be on the same page level as Jimmy Fallon, but he uh, he said go to CVS and buy your stuff there because then you can just take the receipt. <laughs> and you- <laughs> that's a good joke. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> the receipts come with it. That's good. Uh, t- devil use receipts. I don't think you want to so, try to exchange. Yeah. <laughs> good for them. Way to go, CVS. You're ahead of the curve on this. Uh, you know. So how? How much has this disrupted your life? Yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty pretty disrupted. I mean, kids are no longer like I, some of us don't homeschool, and I know you're mm-hmm. you've you've been. Oh no, all of us do now. <laughs> yeah. this, this again, this is your time to shine. You've been uniquely prepared for this for years. It is the rest of for us. Such a time as this, man. Yeah, just like Esther. For us, like this is not this is not that we're we're not ready. For, your family, like, this hasn't changed one thing at all for y'all, has it? It's changed a whole lot, um, you know, but it, there is a sense in which, you know, we still get to ride four-wheelers out on the land. We get to, uh, you know, I can't see my parents because dad's 80 and has Parkinson's. Hmm. So they're, that that part's hard, but I'm so glad to be home yep. during this because if, if I was still in Abilene, I would have been 
freaking out, worried about them. Leslie's gone right now because she's getting groceries and putting on their doorstep. So that's no, great that you guys can be there. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, the the thing about millennials, they're like, oh, millennials are this and that. And then I saw someone say, yeah, except millennials are now the ones who are on the phone yelling at their boomer parents and oh. telling them, do not get out of the house. It's like the role reversal from 20 years ago. Oh, no kidding, man. So I last week I called everybody in our church who was 65 and up to offer our our 20-year-olds are willing to go get them groceries and medicine and just, you know, basic church stuff that people across the country are doing. But um, when I got to somebody who was in their 60s, I felt like the angel of death calling them because there was a, a meme going around about how everybody in their 60s right now are like Creed on The Office, <laughs> dyed his hair black and said, when he was worried about getting fired for his age, and said, "No, I'm forty. I'm totally forty. <laughs> that's yeah. That's that's about right. They uh, there's there's no concern for that at all. Uh, obviously, some people are making wise decisions and staying home, and we 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 appreciate that. Um, I got an email from someone who was going to come down for the Enneagram conference that we're going to have at Westover, and they listeners of the podcast they were making the trip down. I think from like Minnesota. And I got an email, and they actually asked if Stormit, Jonathan Stormit, was going to happen to be in town for the conference. So people are people want to see you. That's nice. Yeah, the listeners they like you. And I told them obviously you couldn't be there because this is that the big harvest time for um, uh, for meth in Arkansas, so you couldn't leave. But people people <laughs> wanted to see you. That's a good thing. Okay, first off, that's highly offensive, right? I mean, super offensive. Uh, I know people who have lost their lives to meth. And second off, everyone knows meth harvest isn't until the fall mm-hmm. in Arkansas. Yeah. A lot of good teeth have but been lost by fault. meth. Sorry about that. <laughs> a, lot, a, lot, a lot of teeth were sacrificed for that joke. That's that's my yeah. fault. I, should, I, sh- I shouldn't have done that. Uh, another person, uh, a friend of mine, was recently traveling through Arkansas a few weeks before, uh, before the corona stuff came came out and in, in the States. And uh, I was... Uh, I was talking to them, one of the, the people who were working with them on this, this tour thing, and this is the person who was selling books at the event in Arkansas, and they were setting up to sell books at the event in Arkansas, and one of the local volunteers came up and said, yeah, we don't really read books here. Uh, so you don't, uh-uh. They really said that, no sarcasm, straight up, that's exactly the, the story that I was told. What? Yeah, we don't No, read. wait, okay, so is this, is this the event that... My wife went to? Yes, it was. But we're not going to say who it was. Or... No, but it sure sounded fun. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, Leslie loved it. And that's crazy. I know people who read here in Arkansas. Well, speaking of reading, that's speaking dope. of reading, since you brought it up, uh, people in Arkansas, this is your chance to, to prove the haters wrong. By haters, I mean the person in Arkansas who said that. Because uh, I've got a new book coming out, and just recently <laughs> we discussed how there is a special pre-sale offer that if you go ahead and pre-order the new book befriending your monsters which is a book that's very timely right now it's talking about fears some of you have some fears right now perfect book for you in that it's the corona uh, survival guide basically that's what the book is so get it pre-order it now <laughs> and if you do that you, there's a form on my website where if you fill it out my publisher will send you a free copy of my first book god over good so this is this is your chance to shine, all my listeners, do you, especially Arkansas. Do you? Yeah, that's right. Arkansas, you know, buy buy books, even even this one. So, do you give? Would you give all your uh, readers a um, a promise that if they read this book, they won't get the virus? Uh, I think that's something that a lot of people have assumed is going to be the case, and I'm not a doctor, so I can't prove that it's not going to happen. <laughs> you just just assume that it's going to happen, but. Yeah. Hey, man. Tell me. Tell me a sec for a second about this book. Is it? Is it? Um. Yeah. It. Why are you excited about it? Why did you? Why did you spend? Yeah. I'm, months and months writing. It? I think the first book I wrote was a book about theology, like me trying to make sense of who God is, and it was a lot of my struggle to make sense of who who God is and what what does that mean in light of you know the complexity of the world and and church and scripture and all that. And this is a book more about spiritual formation, about trying to figure out who God created you to be. And this is a book that comes out of a lot of the struggles that I've had of, you know, how do you make sense of uh, the things that make you most afraid 
when you know that God has promised to be in the midst of all those. And I think this is the book mm. that has been, uh, like, that tells a story of how God has used some of the darkest things to bring out the most light. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, other people whose books are coming out right now, it's like, man, this is horrible timing. But for you, it's like, you think God ordained this coronavirus just for you to sell for my book sales? Copies? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it it seems like that that's something that makes a whole lot of sense. And <laughs> I'm kidding, of course not. I did have my publisher say, um, <laughs> when you do some of the uh, book trailers, I mean, you might want to mention kind of like fear and coronavirus and uh, how this book might help. And so I might do that a little bit, but you know, whatever. No, for for real though, the, the coronavirus is, it's scary. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that idea of God being bigger than your fears is really timely. Have you been, and I'm not trying to promote your book. God knows I'm not trying to promote your book, but, the <laughs> when have I ever done but, anything I mean, mean to you? <laughs> so I I guess my question is how how is it applying to right now? Because uh, I don't are you have you had moments of like your own personal kind of yeah in this yeah yeah because I have yeah for sure no and I think for me like the idea of of monsters, which is the metaphor I'm using in the book. Like, fake monsters put fur, flesh, and skin upon the very real fears that we have. And the thing about when you see a monster, whether it's, you know, the fictitious depiction of a great white shark in Jaws, or it's Godzilla come to your town, or it's the asthmatic big bad wolf who's about to huff and puff and blow your house down, all those things make you question, wow, I need a bigger boat, or the structural integrity of our town's not going to sustain this, or the structural integrity of my house isn't going to sustain what this monster is going to do. And all those monsters mm. remind us of just that, like how small and how much finitude we have and how much weakness we have and how much vulnerability we have. And this, this coronavirus, COVID-19 has made us deeply aware of how our ability to protect ourselves, to save up enough money, to be healthy enough. They're all in some sense like an illusion that make us distracted from the reality that we are all fragile human beings. We, will, we are not big enough. We're not strong enough. We're not smart enough to get through uh, everything that gets thrown in front of us. And I think these things are invitations for us to acknowledge, like, wait, wait a minute, the true reality is not that I'm going to live forever. The true reality is not that I have it all together, mm-hmm. but the true reality is that I am a, a fallible person. But yeah, I think that's where God meets us. And that's where I think the greatest opportunity yeah. to grow is when we finally get to get past all of our uh, you know, death denial schemes and all of our attempts to feel strong and powerful, but instead a- acknowledge our weakness. And once you get to the bottom of those fears, mm-hmm. I think that's when you can experience the light. I, so, I, yes, I think that uh, we, we are now more aware of ultimate reality than we have been for decades Mm -hmm. because people for thousands of years lived feeling more so than what we're feeling now. You know, they're aware that the next day could be their last or what, you know, whatever. And there's always, there was always plagues or wars or, you know, they were always aware of their vulnerabilities and we've kind of built a, a house of cards that we've thought, we were, it would protect us. And now we're just realizing we're not the masters of the universe. We thought we were. Yeah. So one of our uh, friends of the show, Austin Fisher, uh, he he was at our church and preached a couple, uh, I guess maybe last summer. He made the great point that we are categorically, uh, undeniably safer now than at any other time in human history. An American living right now is safer, uh, more so than anyone else in human history has ever experienced. Yet there is this massive industry of books saying this is how you can be brave and this is how you can be strong, even though we have all the security and all of the things around us that should make us already feel that way. And I think there's a sense that we know it's all it's all saccharine. It's all artificial sweetener. It's not it's not real uh, because underneath it all, we we're just as vulnerable now as we've we've always been um, because we yeah. we can't keep ourselves together. We can't make everything the way we want it. We can't make the world perfectly safe for our kids. We, we can't do that. But I think underneath yeah. all that is the greatest invitation we have to find God and to find uh, the invitation to become who God created us to be. Did, I, I, think, I think that this moment, and again, I don't, I don't think God is you know, causing all of this, um, but 
I do think this moment could lead to people because it, it's knocking over our idols. Yeah. Um, when did you start taking this seriously? When did you start being like, oh, this isn't like a overseas problem. This is this is an Austin, Texas problem. Wow, that's a great question. I, it was so we've now had two Sundays without church uh, service in person, uh, right? You same thing for y'all. Yeah, yeah. It, it had to be the, uh, I mean, just a few days before that, probably Tuesday, Wednesday of that week. And I, I don't remember what the catalyst to make me think that. I just remember going, oh, this means I'm not going to be, be able to go to that gym and work out uh, for a while. And I knew it was like, okay, I can do this for like two more workouts and then I'm not going to be able to go to this gym and work out. And yeah. then eventually, like that Thursday, Friday afternoon, I was like, oh, this is, this is going to be our new reality for a while. What about you? When did you realize it's real? Uh, when March Madness got canceled. That, that was like that, when, th- that Wednesday or Thursday night. Thursday. It was, yeah, it was Thursday because they were doing all the, they canceled the SEC tournament. Yeah. I remember preaching on that Wednesday night because I'm a real godly person. I preach on Wednesdays too. Um, and I remember it was just such a great night at church and everybody was, you know, it was just one of those perfect kind of nights. And I remember walking away from that thinking, I wonder if this is going to be the last time we meet for a while. Hmm. And um, now nobody really said that out loud, but we we knew that, you know, it was in Washington and in a couple other places. And, and then they started canceling all the events and then they basically canceled everything. And so on Thursday, I made a video for our church about how we're taking this seriously and we're washing handles and all that stuff. And yep. We don't need to shake hands. And then on Friday, I made a video of, okay, we're not going to do any of that now. Yep. We're, uh, we're going to do this online. And I just, it, it feels very surreal. Did you, did you watch that Ed Setzer video on uh, Christianity Today? No, no, I didn't. Okay. I, I really respect Ed Setzer. And earlier this week, he had this thing where he, I mean, the guy is a measured, um, you know, he's a good leader. He's not an alarmist. Um, and he has this video that's like 20 minutes where he's saying, listen, I'm hearing all these pastors talk about how the crisis is moving from gathering physically to gathering online. That's not the crisis. Hmm. That was your pivot. You just, you were just having to pivot. The crisis is what you were pivoting for and that is the virus that is coming it's coming to your city and he was he was very blunt he said listen in the next week someone you know is going to probably get the virus in the next month someone you love is probably going to die from the virus and he he said that because he was talking with the surgeon general um and and just the he, he was trying to get people to stop thinking in terms of okay, what does my particular institution need to do to continue to be okay? And he was saying, the question isn't, what does your institution need to do to be okay? The question is, why did your institution come together in the first place? Hmm. And your church is supposed to be, if you're on mission with Jesus, the church is called to be a part of the, in the words of Landon Saunders, every open wound in the world is an open door for the church. And so you need to start realizing this is not the crisis. Moving to online, uh, what, what you're going to do about giving, all those kind of things, that's not the crisis. Those are important. Keep doing those. Take care of those. But now is the time for the – if the church is the only institution in the world that exists for the people that don't belong to her, now is the time to start figuring out what are the places in your city where your church needs to start getting involved in whatever level she can get involved in. Yeah. Wow, that's really good. So most of us feel it most acutely because we don't have the gathering anymore. But I think he's exactly right. That's the pivot. And most of us have been so mm-hmm. caught up in that that we miss. It's like the, um, it's like in, in, in magic, like where you have the, like the distraction, like where everyone sees the hand that's all dancing right. around, but the real, the real thing that's happening is underneath the, you know, behind the jacket or behind the back or something like that. Yeah. And so we all see it's not Sunday morning anymore, but then the real change is happening underneath the surface. Wow, that's, um, that's a good... And it's terrifying to think that in in a week, someone we know is going to get it, which I don't know. He, he, he Whenever he did the video, let's say a week from now, people are going to get the, someone you know is going to have it. Yep. 
uh, a month from now, someone will die. That, like, that's terrifying. Like, we, we've had uh, uh, friends at the podcast. Uh, Craig Groeschel was, like, quarantined because he came home from a trip and came in contact with someone, like, two or three weeks ago. Like, was like, oh, okay, whatever. Well, Carl Lentz, who's up in New York, who's been on the podcast, he, he now has the COVID-19. And, yeah, yeah. So you have one person who's been on the podcast has it. Um, and you know that number's just going to go up from here on out. Uh, Annie Downs, she had to be quarantined because she was around someone who had it. Uh, and I think her quarantine time is probably be up by the time we post this. But the idea that within a month, statistically speaking, everyone's going to know someone who we we love that has it and is going to pass away. I mean, that's that's going to make this real on a completely different level. Yeah, that's what he was trying to do. He, uh, what, what, and I appreciated this, and it really woke me up, not in a sense of we've got to be scared to Christian. Dallas Willard's quote, Christians are people who are better off dead. I'm not interested in self-protection. I'm also not interested in dying. But um, the so we're, you know, we're, we enter into this differently. We enter into it with uh, a different set of values. Um, but we, we need to enter into this. And it, it definitely helped me start thinking, okay, what does our mayor want churches to do? What does, uh, who are the, you know, what about the homeless people in Little Rock? What about the yeah. um, kids who don't have food that don't have, when they're out of school, they're out of food. Yeah. So trying to figure out stuff like that has definitely taken more of a front seat for for me since hearing that video. Yeah, there's a there's a, uh, a weird balance of what you're supposed to do, stay home, stay away, flatten the curve, help healthcare professionals, help the healthcare system uh, by staying away, but also you want to do something. You want to be participating in uh, the yeah. solution, not just being a, a bystander, but part of being a solution is by not doing anything. And so it, it's like this weird predicament of you want to help. Uh, what does it look like? It's, it's, it's hard to answer. I, I do think... Church yeah. is going to be different going forward. I think this is going to be a moment that we look back on and go, wow, uh, something really did pivot here. I guess that's not the right word for Stetzer's thing. But I, I think this will be a time we look back and go, something changed. I think a, a lot of times change happens out of necessity. And mm-hmm. this is going to be a time that church is going to have to reevaluate. Because best case scenario, you know, Trump said he wants everything back by Easter. Now, I, I think that is the... Uh, <laughs> Uh, that is consistent with uh, basically no like scientists or anything, and maybe his words, as they often are, are more aspirational than uh, actually descriptive of uh, reality. That's good. Say that's a, not, yeah, a nice it. way to say that. Uh, but yeah, hopeful. But if if the more uh, the numbers that it seems like the scientific community is more rallying around is that this is going to be months and maybe we have a respite maybe we flatten the curve we come back happens uh the summertime and then in the fall there's a second wave of it and then eventually roughly you know 18 months from right now there's a vaccine out that really can stop it i mean we're looking at a a prolonged difference and even when we're told hey we can get back the level of skepticism of being in groups it's going to be great i mean if people see the effects of this on people uh, that they love and they care about, the likelihood that they're going to want to come back to church, I think, is uh, it, with the same level of enthusiasm as they had before. It, it, uh, that might be unrealistic. And so, when you think, mm. so here's two questions: Some people will thrive, and this will help them grow. Uh, some churches will see this; it'll help them thrive, and they'll grow. And others will just find this as a convenient excuse to walk away. Th- this will be the thing where mm. it, it's like I had a friend who planted a church and. Six or eight months in, things were going well. Uh, they had a, a good core group of 100 people who were committed, and then summertime happened, which is the first summer is terrifying for church planners and for reasons like mm-hmm. the story I'm about to tell you. So he goes in, has this core group, they're committed, they're showing up. Uh, all the basic metrics, metrics are going in a positive direction. Summer happens, and then they just don't come back. Like no one came back, and all of a sudden the core group and the, the momentum, momentum they have just evaporate. I think we're going to find some of that is people are like, well, this is. This is my chance to step away from church, and others are going to go, man, I really miss church. I want to uh, redouble my commitment and my efforts to it. And so my question for you, Storm, like as you think about th- these two different directions that people are going to go, if you had to speculate on on the churches or the people that find this and kind of double down and go, oh, man, this is something I'm even more committed to now compared to those who would be more likely to step away, what do you think the differences are going to be? 
Uh, you're saying that some people are going to be like, well, you know, sleeping in on Sunday morning wasn't that bad. Yeah. And actually, um, man, I'm, I'm actually way more hopeful about it going the other direction than that. I think this could be a time of revival. You know, um, Donald Miller has, he, he says in stories, characters never change without crisis. And um, I think, I think, Things lead to their opposites. And so people being isolated, I think, is going to make them realize how much mm-hmm. they they took for granted the basic human interaction and contact. Mm-hmm. You know, I I imagine the first Sunday we are able to gather together, it's going to be huge. But I also am thinking about the people on the outside of churches who all of a sudden are having to reevaluate their own mortality and their own kind of, I mean, I, I sincerely think Luke that, you know, we're, we're, we're in a time, I think God may be up to something mm-hmm. that, uh, I, I, I'm not anxious about churches surviving again. Some, some won't, but, uh, I, I think if churches are, I think if churches step up and do the stuff that God called them to do all along yeah. right now, then in the future, I think people will pay attention to that. You know, yeah, I think you're onto something there. When when church does what she is called and created to do, I think that makes a difference. I was on the phone last night with the, uh, a friend from church who said uh, th- this guy had a work situation got really complicated and he's going to be uh, needing to do some uh, reimagining of what his income is going to look like. And he made a comment to me. He goes, "You know, I, I don't know how people get through stuff like this without church." Because, because right. That's exactly our right. church has been for them, th- their family, what church mm-hmm. is supposed to be. When you look at the, like you described, the, the people are going to find uh, food at church. People are going to find support. People like teachers who come to our church because they know that we have food that they can take back to one of their students who doesn't have the ability to find a, a, a meal at home. Like Then all of a sudden church goes, oh, this is who we were supposed to be all along. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I, I mean, I don't know about you. But it seems to me, I remember at Harding at 9-11, that, you know, the day after 9-11, um, were you there? Were you at Harding? No, no, I was, I was okay. at ACU. Yeah, so uh, I remember on, in the Benson Auditorium, there were Baptist pastors and Methodist pastors and all these people. And I remember thinking, wait, you know, hold on. When did that happen? But all of a sudden, it you get crystal clear clarity in moments like this where you realize, okay, you know what? A lot of this is really petty. And the the stuff, you know, the differences we have are substantial and we can, we can disagree with them. But when everything kind of, when you don't assume the normal anymore, there's some stuff that God can do. And I, I think God is doing that. I think now is a time where, like I said, our secular idols are being knocked down, and we're able to realize we don't have the resources. I mean, think about how much sports props up us being able to ignore reality. And I love sports. I'm not against it. That, but Yes, I have found the degree in which sports play this almost idolatrous role in my life. Because I'm going, wait, how do I distract myself? What, what do I do to just yeah to to turn my mind off it sports it's that and all of a sudden it's gone yeah okay so i've had i've had this ever since like two sundays ago on the first sunday we couldn't meet i had this uh i think word from the lord that um i just preached it today's thursday when does this go up uh it, monday like it's been for the last six years okay <laughs> excuse me sorry um yeah so the here, here it is. It was. I'm, I'm sorry, I haven't got your podcast schedule memorized. It's one day. Um, it's the same day every. It's I'm sure. Okay, go on. <laughs> okay, sorry. So uh, here's the here's the big idea for me. We're all quarantined. We're all stuck in our homes, and it's frustrating. And and then I it dawned on me on that Sunday when we were first starting to say we got to stay home and not do anything that. Half of what Paul wrote, he wrote when he could not leave a house. Yeah. Um, and and he so the stuff that would have been the most 
frustrating season in his life was the most fruitful season of his ministry. And just to explain what I mean by that, like that now husbands don't look at their wives anymore like their property. And a large part of that, if you do the historical work, it's because from his house, you know, I don't know if he was lonely. I don't know if he was bored or whatever, but from the house he was confined to, he wrote a letter saying, Husband, love your wife like Jesus loves his people. Mm-hmm. We, we now think that um, slavery is a moral abomination. Like globally speaking, people realize this is an evil thing. And in the world he wrote, nobody thought that. But part of the reason they think it's wrong now is because he wrote a letter to a slave owner saying, I'm sending back this runaway slave, but I'm sending him back better than a slave. Mm-hmm. He's a brother. And so Wilberforce, you know, would draw on that hundreds of years later to say, you know, we can't, we can't view fellow human beings as wrong or as, as property or chattel because, uh, because of this. I mean, Paul, the stuff that happened in Paul, he had no idea. I mean, he's just writing to these little churches that he planted, frustrated because he traveled the world and now he couldn't go anywhere. Um, but the last word Acts used to describe Paul is unleashed. Hmm. That's good. Which is really cool, right? He's stuck at home. He can't go anywhere. Yeah, he definitely seems leashed right there, but there's something that happened that, that, that God is in the midst of this. And yeah, I think when the church, we have to create this vision of who, who we can be in this time that reminds us of who we're always intended to be. You know, Paul even though he was imprisoned, had this level of freedom that enabled him to make a huge difference in the world. I, I remember, I'm reminded of, I think I got this quote originally from you from uh, Julian the Apostate, who talks about uh, when he's trying to get rid of Christianity, he goes, we can't get rid of them because these, he called them atheists, as those of you who listened to Jonathan's I and I shared sermon series three years ago, Christians make the best atheists. Um, these atheists, they care for the sick, they bury the dead, they do all these things, and it, it makes it so attractive. And Christianity, yeah. we have an ability to offer the world something in this time that I think helps us to have that sort of you know, redemptive, uh, to use your word, like there could be a, some sort of like revival when people live into what we were always created to be. Yeah, I like it. I think it's good. Right. I think it's good. I think if you're reading Acts, it's the it's it's this is what the ascension of King Jesus looks like. That everything that's happening, God, not that He causes all evil or anything like that, but He always steps back and goes, "Okay, let's do something with yeah, that." God's in the midst of it, and I de- I definitely see that. You know, personally. This is something where, even what we talked about before about like the distraction from sports when that's no longer there. Yeah, you know, if there's the the meme that's gone around where someone said, uh, you know, second night without sports. Turns out this lady who lives in the house with me, she, she's a nice woman, right? <laughs> you know, like the the, the <laughs> yeah. trope about the uh, the disconnected husband who all of a sudden now, now has to talk to his spouse. Like that's there's something the formative that can happen in this. And I think if you have eyes to see, you see that you know God is present in the midst of of all of this. And if you don't have eyes to see, just order my book. And you know, <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly what your publisher is talking exactly. about. Exactly. Just get it into every yeah, yeah. Work work it in there. Yeah, I mean, I think we can. If if you start looking at it like that, I mean, if you start thinking, okay, what does this season make possible? It can be reconnect with your spouse. It can be be more intentional about bedtime as a parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about. Paul writes Ephesians with those household codes about, you know, fathers don't exasperate here. He does that from a house that's empty, right? He's thinking very acutely. Oh, interesting. So he's not, what? obviously he's not looking at a family that he has per se, but he's, yeah, that's interesting. Now, I think there's also needs to be some grace because if if you're stuck at home (laughs) and, uh, you know, Lindsay's having to pick up an extra shift or so at the hospital because, you know, they need some nurses these days. Uh, she works night shift, working from home, kids. I mean, it, it it's a mess. <laughs> and, and part of what God can do in this is accept that you don't have it all together. And I think part of the way that we can grow is 
we've been busy, we've been distracted, we've had a lot going on, and that makes us think us thinks that we can do more than we can, and that our standing before ourselves and God is because of how productive we can be, or how responsible we can be, or how good of a parent. And maybe a spiritual practice for some of us is to go, yeah, your best practices might have gone out the window. Your ability to do the perfect mm-hmm. bedtime might not happen as much. Your ability to, uh, you know, always have your uh, your temper in check might not happen. But what you can find in that is that God is still present in that you all along have not been perfect. You've just been able to be distracted, so you thought you were better than you are. And God is in the midst of all of it. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah and I, I, would, I think that's totally right. I think we can pull ourselves into thinking we're better than we are, and then now you're bumping into reality. And, you know, I, I think this would be a great time for when you lose your temper, which I have several times, to apologize. You know, give yourself, yeah, give yourself grace. Watch Netflix. That's okay. But thank God for Netflix and the Tiger King. Big shout out to the Tiger King. Thank you for getting us through this first week. Have you watched that documentary on Netflix? By the way, I haven't yet. Is it the one about the tigers? Person who. Oh, yeah. it is fascinating. Okay, well, let me make a dark turn away from the Tiger King. Um, Suzanne was on the podcast uh, twice last week, and she talked about how domestic abuse or, or uh, what is it called, uh, intimate partner? I, there's some new new terminology for that, but but uh, this sort of violence is is up. And so she says on the podcast, we record mm-hmm. Friday for that Sunday morning. I'm I'm driving to church two days later, and there is crime scene tape all around a house that's. 10 houses down from me, and there are detectives all around my house. And I'm driving to church, got to record the service. You know, I'm kind of in my preach mode. And I see this, I'm like, what happened? And so I Google, there was a shooting 10 houses down from us, like the first weekend. Uh, I guess it was the first weekend of social distancing. And you go, wow, this is, I, I think the person survived yeah. from, from what the news has said and from what I understand. But I literally was just running, uh, doing a workout, and I was running to their house and back. And I thought, uh, maybe run to a different house uh, as your mile marker or whatever. Uh, so just thought about that as my run. I was like, hmm, pick a different house next time, Luke. But it's up and close and personal that s- some of these issues and problems that we have, relational problems, are going to be brought to the surface. And yeah. Being, you, know, you know Richard Beck's thing on uh, when... He's quoting someone else there, but I got it from him. When we were alone, we could have thought we loved everyone. <laughs> and basically, he, he this is why he calls church a laboratory of love. Because when it's doing its job well, you realize what it is to love people uh, who have all kinds of sins just like you wow. do. You know, And family, Andy Crouch, in his TechWise family, he talks about um, families are God's way of letting people see what wisdom is, and just as importantly, who the fool is. Wow. And I I think about that quote all the time because I am primarily the fool in our family. Amen. You know? No, hold on. Maybe. No, I was, I was agreeing with you. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I, I would also like to say that. Uh, Reading Andy Crouch's TechWise Family during this time of social distancing is not what I recommend. I think there is a yeah. uh, a reprieve from uh, the enemy of screens at this point. So let's not uh, let's not shame ourselves. Maybe that's not the book you read. Maybe you go read um, uh, Ellie Holcomb's kids book. That's a good one. Listen to some of her songs like that. That's a good option. Do that with your kids. Maybe you read uh, Lee Camp's new book. I mean, that's that might be more realistic in this time and season. Man, I love that podcast with Lee Camp. Do you know Lee? Uh, yeah, I, I do. Um, not we're not super tight or anything, but his book "Mere Discipleship" changed my life and um, got me in some deep, really hot water when I first read it. Do you remember this? No, it's hard to remember all we the times that you've gotten yourself in hot waters because <laughs> you read a book and your life got changed. Okay, so "Mere <laughs> Discipleship" is a wonderful book, right? And he talks about how people use the name of God to justify whatever state stuff that they um, kind of, some of yes. stuff. Do you remember this? And it was when torture was coming mm-hmm. out. And, you know, we were torturing these people uh, to get the truth it's about called, 9/11. It's called advanced interrogation, Jonathan. Oh, right, right, right. Enhanced Enhanced, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and what? so I wrote a blog about torture because I thought, hey, this is something all Christians can get on board mm-hmm. with, right? Like, our the guy we follow was killed by government-ordained torture, so we're against it, right? And it turns out not everybody <laughs> was against it. Some people were, uh, oh, man, I, that was one of the first times I ever realized, like, oh, <laughs> Don't just pat you on the back after. <laughs> uh, yes, I know all the details, and I'm just trying to keep them to myself right now. That is a good story. That is, yeah. Yeah, th- those are the conversations that are always best, uh, not as a monologue from a stage as much as they are a dialogue. And, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, uh, that's a complicated... Because there were the people who had... Uh, issues with it they actually had a couple of good points that it helped me kind of reconsider from other angles like uh it's not just entirely black and white i'm still against torture for the record but but, i think that uh, but your point is right like there are that's why conversations and monologues uh are not the same medium like that's why dialogue where you can hear okay here's some good points and then yeah. Anyway, yes, uh, I do remember that. So it, this new book by uh, Lee Camp is it going to create the same level of uh, consternation with those who hear your preaching? Um, I don't know, but I, I'm definitely going to address it. Well, I guess I don't know. I don't know what the year looks like in preaching. I'm my preaching planned out, but um, another failing. It is. So one of the I want to address you know, the 2020 election with the kingdom of God. But one of the places he pushed back on me was, you know who I vote for? You write King Jesus every year. Yeah, every every four years, because that's when America does its election. Um, but I write King Jesus for... Um, and one of the things that he, <laughs> he did, one of the things he said that I thought, okay, that's really helpful, is he said his thing on... It's neither right nor left nor religious. Um, I I do think sometimes I'm guilty of, you know, Jesus has got this, and and not addressing the actual things that Jesus is trying to do in our communities, um, because you know, so there is a little bit of an escapism that yep. um, I'm guilty of in the past, and I think that's part of the wisdom of. Lee Camp's book is that it's an equal opportunity offender on every side. And for, for those who buy into one myth or the other myth, whether it's Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, or whoever, um, whatever myth you buy into, it's there's flaws. It is not the kingdom of God. And even this sort of like standoffish religion myth that, oh, you know, you know God's got it, so I don't have to worry about it, I don't have to be involved in it. I, I, I think he calls, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great book. Well, I'm trying to figure out what it's going to look like in the fall, but there's a very good chance that he's uh, he's a resource I rely heavily upon during the sermon series around that time. But it's a it's a great book. I'm yeah, definitely need to get a copy of it. I love this stuff on uh, kind of eschatological hope of you know, and okay, so one of my problems with progress, uh, you know, I was all in on being progressive and uh, progress and stuff, and and um, and then I wasn't because of the stuff that I saw with, okay, this is this feels like it's um, the same version on the right. It, it just, you know, like in in the 2000s, it, to be Christian was to vote for George W. Bush. And then it seems like in the, ten, the teens, it was to be Christian is to vote Democrat, uh, sometimes exclusively just to vote de- Democrat, not to hold any kind of faith or, but, you yeah. know. So there's this new kind of moralism. I'd like to ask him, okay, so what is, what's the difference between Christian hope and progress? Because I, I think those do overlap sometimes, but often it gets hijacked. The Christian hope gets hijacked by the, you know, the idea that every new thing is better. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's problematic when, when there's a campaign whose slogan is hope, because it makes it seem like uh, the Christians who use the word hope, uh, that what this 
campaign and what this party is talking mm-hmm. about is the exact same thing. And it, yeah, it's not. Um, anyway, yeah, there's. I, I actually thought of that campaign, and it was Barack Obama's, and I'm you know a big Obama fan, but um, I, I thought of that campaign when he when you were talking about the give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. That's what we did, not just in that campaign, but every single campaign. You know, our our hope for security, our hope for you know yeah. American exceptionalism, whatever it is. Um, we're in in those moments. One of the biggest problems we have is that we're giving to Caesar things that only belong yep. to God. Yeah, no, and, and I think Obama did it in a more nuanced way than what what sure. Trump is doing. But you know, Trump has done played the same game where he's obviously aligned himself, and you know, I'm the best president for Christians, and you know, I want you know, yeah. I, I think part of his, you know, we're going to be over this by Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is a big deal. Like he's he's doing the same thing. He's aligned himself with. You know, Christianity, that he's a solution for that. There's a problem that, you know, anyway, that's, it's the game of politics that Christianity has to be participatory in, but it also doesn't have to be aligned to that ultimately, that it has a deeper allegiance that we know no candidate is going to fulfill. Anyway, Lee Camp, he will get you in trouble, Jonathan, if you quote him too much. Yeah. Uh, but everyone needs to go read him. Yeah. It, it, it really is a, a deeply meaningful book that everyone needs to read this this upcoming year, especially as we get closer to the election, which turns out, I didn't know this, because I'm not as uh, devoted to the political machine as Jonathan is, is every four years, not every year. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, maybe you're voting every year. but <laughs> That's why That's why I never can uh, get the right person in, because I'm always voting the wrong year. <laughs> yeah, turns out it's like the only... Yeah. Okay, Jonathan, uh, as we go, what is... Uh, I want to do something with you that I do with my kids. Uh, what is something you're grateful for? Three things you're grateful for uh, in the quarantined-ish life that uh, you're experiencing right now. So give me your gratitude list of uh, social distancing 2020. Um, I am grateful for my wife, sincerely. She does not listen to these wrap-ups because of how mean we are to each mean other. To me. So She's she'll never hear you. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> on, on on many levels that's <laughs> true, but not on this one. Um, she's so great, man. She's she's just so kind and patient, and a lot of things that I'm not. And she's a very good partner to have in in this season. Um, I am grateful to be home. I'm I am glad that my brother lives next door, and we. You know, we have five acres and stuff that I've already mentioned, but um, I'm I'm grateful for my kids. Like, they're I'm trying not to make them anxious, and um, being able to take this time and and try to be. In, we were watching the Bible miniseries, which, by the way, is very violent to watch with three year olds huh. and a five. Yeah, yeah. It turns um, out Bible stories are not always family but, appropriate. Who'd have guessed? Aiden, our 11-year-old, keeps saying, oh, this is so awful. This isn't in the Bible. And I'm like, oh, yeah, actually, it is. <laughs> yeah, I was reading the uh, David and Goliath story with Adeline the other day, and she goes, oh, that wasn't nice to do. I'm like, yeah, and you didn't even get to cut the head off part uh, <laughs> in your version. The Bible miniseries, the, he, he holds up the head. <laughs> so I'm like, fast forward. Get to Jesus, get to Jesus, quick, yeah. quick. Then you get Jesus, and it's like the genocide of the <laughs> the babies. And <laughs> good grief! Yeah. Um, so, but I, I'm I am grateful for this uh, time to be able to kind of recalibrate being a dad. And we finished Narnia, and I cried like a baby as I was <laughs> reading it out loud. You know, because I've I've read that a couple of those passages at really particularly difficult funerals. Mom was a little infant and just kind of the Christian hope that C.S. Lewis espouses there is really brilliant um yeah what about you what what three things are you grateful for present company well I mean I was going to say I got a new TV for Christmas so that was my main one uh but now I guess I need to change that answer because of you um obviously my wife uh, it is uh you know as everyone's expressing admiration and appreciation for healthcare providers, healthcare workers, uh, I am even more uh, 
proud of what you know my wife has chosen to do uh, uh, with with the kind of work that she wants to do outside of the home. And uh, obviously, the work she does taking care of our kids is um, that that we do together is uh, it's amazing. So uh, my wife being being able to be around family that loves my kids is uh, is a gift that I will never uh, overlook. It's uh, it's a blessing. So the yeah, those are those are the ones that come front and center, and then my garage gym is is a very close third. <laughs> it's a very close third. I mean, honestly, I'm not even gonna lie. If I couldn't work out for like two months, I I, I don't have a gun at the house, so I wouldn't shoot someone. But I would probably strangle someone. Mostly my dog. My dog, I would kick my dog probably twice a week <laughs> if I couldn't work out. So Oliver is very grateful for it. The percentage of your Insta stories that involve Oliver these days have gone up exponentially. Yeah, just this guy's just laying around the he, house. He's laying next to me right now. He's asleep on the couch, like it's his job. <laughs> we're good yeah, at he's, it. He's a sad little creature. Just I'm talking about him. He's not even waking up. So anyway, whatever. Uh, yeah, Oliver seems to be uh, in the background of some podcasts these days, and that's just how how it works. But anyway, Jonathan. Glad you don't have keep watching, man. I think that's a myth. I don't. I don't think hand washing is that important. It's like looking up at the sun when there's a solar eclipse. You know, whatever. <laughs> I can do that. Why would you talk to dog whistles? <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you see Hillary Clinton's tweet on that? Which about what? Uh, she said, "Don't trust medical advice from anyone who stares at the sun." <laughs> hey, hey! I know as an Arkansian, you you are deeply loyal to the Clintons, but I am not like that. So um, I'm committed to Jesus. So I, I don't get the humor in that. I feel like that's divisive. But you know, that's that's just what you do, Jonathan. You should watch the Hillary documentary on Hulu. It's amazing and it's very pro Arkansas. You'll stop making all your dumb jokes if you did. I, I, I use just bad language, by the way. So don't watch it with kids. Well, that's that's lovely. All right, Jonathan, you've been uh, a huge blessing to my life to be on the podcast. So thank you. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>